In today's episode, we have the privilege of interviewing Nathan Winterton. We do. And he actually, and we'll talk about this, he made an Instagram post that went instantly viral. About a year ago, About right? a year ago concerning the church's push to not let Utah make conversion therapy illegal. And right. we're going to hear his entire story, so. Yeah, he is a survivor of conversion therapy, so that is a subject we are going to be discussing. If that is triggery for you, totally understand. Mm-hmm. Possibly think about listening to this later or listening with some support or yes. not listening. That is another option. Mm-hmm. So just letting everybody know that's what we're talking about today. Should we get to it? Yeah, we'll be right back. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Latter Day Lesbian, the podcast about an ex Mormon gay girl just trying to figure out her life. I'm Mary. And I'm Shelly. So, Shelly. Yes, Mary. We have a special guest today. Who's that? Do you want to introduce him? I do. And I feel pretty special about this because Nathan Winterton has been playing hard to get for a year. <laughs> <laughs> Almost to the day. I know. I'm like, oh my gosh. I, I, I was thinking that maybe this came up in your Facebook, you know, one year ago today. It I did. Did it? It did. <laughs> Thank you, Facebook Jesus. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Is Facebook Jesus the same as fake Jesus? Yes. Okay. Yes, but I, I, I pray to Facebook Jesus. It's <laughs> funny. Uh, so just really quickly, so I can kind of give the listeners a, a, some background here, a picture that Nathan put up kind of went viral. Literally. And it was him pulled over on the side of the road, and he was in tears and basically— saying that he was having a kind of a PTSD attack because the Mormon church had just come out against protecting people from conversion therapy. So that is where this all began. And we finally got Nathan to come on and talk to us about his entire life. So Nathan, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited. I know it's literally been a year. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. It blows my mind because that day was insane for me. Yeah. I was like in a brain fog when I posted that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, okay, I can't. So I even like, I was on my way to work. And so I just left my phone in my car that day. And so I was like, I don't want to hear about the news. Mm-hmm anymore after I saw that. And then I got off work and you were right. It went viral. And I was mind boggled by that. Remind everybody how this news came to be. Yeah. So last year, 2019 was 
a very political year for Utah about getting conversion therapy either illegal or just letting it stay how it is. Back in March, I even did a sit-in at the Capitol, the state Capitol of Utah, and sat in front of the governor's office for 13 hours with 12 other people um, who went through conversion therapy in Utah. Wow. And that like made it on all the news platforms, on the newspaper. And it was a whole fight about just trying to share our stories about why conversion therapy should be illegal, how church leaders, like LDS church leaders, maybe they weren't the ones who did the actual therapy to the person, but they were the ones who introduced them or suggested it to the parents to put their kids in it. And the big influence of like the church forcing this stuff on these people. Mm -hmm. And so in October, the church made a, like a letter, like they usually do. It's like a very well-worded letter, probably written by their lawyer. Oh yeah. Kurt McConkey, <laughs> shout out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and they had the news share it. And then they posted it on like their social media, on their website and on all the newspapers stating that they are against conversion therapy becoming illegal. They believe in the practice of it and that people should have the right to change that. Yeah. I had woke up to go, just go to work. And I had like three friends from like that sit-in text me, uh, the link to that. And I was doing pretty good. And then I just had a literal flashback and it came out of nowhere. As you guys know, PTSD just sometimes just pops up. Yeah. Yeah. And it popped up out of nowhere on the freeway for me. And I had to pull over and just like, take it all in. And I broke down. And for me, I have like a small following on Instagram mm -hmm. and my brain just said to post that. And so I did. Real quick, um, trigger warning for anyone. We're going to really dive into what this actually is. Or entails. Nathan, right, if, if right. that's comfortable for you. Yeah, that's what I do. Um, that's why I'm doing this. Yeah, very trigger warning. It will like talk about like very in detail, physical stuff. Mm -hmm. And so if those things are triggering for you, maybe fast forward, also trigger warning throughout this conversation, we might talk about suicidal ideation uh, for any of those folks who might be triggered by that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thanks yeah, for that, thank you for that. For that warning. Mm -hmm. So this proclamation or whatever, this thing that was written by the lawyers, we think that came after your sit-in. Is that correct? Yeah, because our sit-in was back in March. Okay. This literally the whole summer was like the court hearings, trying to get it passed to make it illegal. And so in October, the church finally released a statement. People have been asking for months, and the church just was staying silent. Mm -hmm. Their lawyers obviously were backing the state and keeping it legal because the state was fighting to keep it legal. Right. And so the church finally came out with a statement. But thankfully... I can't remember exactly when it was either November or December, it became illegal. Right. But the church definitely tried to make it not happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They seem to be on the wrong side of history every fucking time. Every time. <laughs> they need to just shut up. Seriously. <laughs> I know. Separation of church and state. God. <laughs> right? I know. I know. I, I feel that. You do this post, it goes viral like crazy. I mean, as soon as I saw that, I was like, Holy shit. Yeah. And the comments. Yes. 
Oh, yeah. And, and the look on your face was so genuine and this despair and anxiety. And it grabbed me. And I was thinking, we need to talk about this. We need to look into this. Because, again, I didn't understand everything that it was. Mm-hmm. We'll get into more of that later. But for now, I think I want to get to know Nathan a little more, you know, on top of me just going through all of your pictures and clapping and cheering. and then I looking think she stalked you pretty hardcore. I did. <laughs> and, and so people um, stalk Nathan. It's amazing because you see these pictures of him just beautifully happy and these poses and so artistic and just strong and amazing. And then you'll see these pictures of him, you know, in a suit and tie standing outside of the temple, basically bearing testimony. It's this jarring, like, what the before what and the after. hell? Yeah. Literally. I'm going to back up till um, when you were four years old. That's when I read that you first realized that you weren't normal like the other kids. So you want to talk about that? Yeah, Nathan, were you born in the covenant? Oh, good question. Honestly, I don't know. So I was adopted. Gotcha. I'm adopted. And so I wasn't sealed to my parents Mm -hmm. until I was two. Gotcha. So I don't think I was. The answer is no, but then you were... Pretty shortly thereafter. (laughs) Pretty shortly thereafter. And by the way, I saw some pictures of you with your family, and your family just looks so lovely. Uh, You know, I saw a little bit about your mom and just beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. So take us back. You are a young child. Uh, struggling, perhaps understanding on some level that you're different, Mm -hmm. but you're in the Mormon church. You're being raised as a Mormon. And you're four and you've sang the follow the prophet. Like that's already (laughs) happened. Yes. So I was four. um, And like a lot of four-year-olds, like I went to preschool and in preschool, there was this boy, his name's Carlos. And he had like this beautiful, like curly mini like Afro, almost like ringlets. It was gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And I had like a feeling about him. You know what I mean? Like back then as like a little kid, you don't know like those type of things, but like I had other friends that were boys and girls and I didn't see them in that way, but I really like admired him. And looking back, like I had a crush on him. Mm -hmm. And, and that's when I first realized that I was like, Oh, I don't get that when I like look at girls or something like that. And so for a long time, I just didn't know what it was. I just knew that like I was different. Yeah. Mm. That was like my first crush and my first realization of being gay. Mm-hmm. Um, now fast forward a little bit to when I was, I was seven or eight. Okay. My mom has a gay brother and at the time he was married to a man. And my uncle travels a lot. Mm-hmm. They had a delay in Utah. Um, and so we caught dinner with them. And I just like was looking at them and admiring them. And my uncle and I always like kind of had a bond since I was really little. Mm-hmm. Looking at it now, it was just like kind of protecting each other in our gayness in a way. Yeah. Because um, he was raised Mormon as well. I mean, you went, you met him for dinner. So your family must have been at least somewhat accepting Yeah. So my mom grew up in San Diego. Her parents converted from Judaism, actually, to Mormonism. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So before they had kids and my mom was a very devout woman, Um, but she like growing up in San Diego, you basically kind of just have to become gay friendly. Right. 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 It's like a very just gay scene. Yeah. You can't really be a shitty homophobe in, in San Diego. You just you'll get booed out of San Diego if you can't be nice Seriously, to the gays. Seriously, I feel like <laughs> I feel like if you're like a very conservative Republican in Southern California, you just gotta move because like leave. You're not gonna win that battle. <laughs> no. You're not gonna win. <laughs> you're Unless so you're outnumbered. Arnold Schwarzenegger, I 
I think. He gets exactly. away with it. Exactly. <laughs> he does. Sadly. <laughs> I think, and this is just me thinking, that had your mom not been as open-minded as she was, things could have gone a whole lot differently because she might have dismissed the gay brother. And But how great to have a family that could be open enough, even within the church, that you had a chance to see someone that you identified with at such a young age. Maybe not understanding the identification there, but just feeling something. Yeah, and then getting to like at least be around them because there's some people who like grow up never meeting like that uncle or like that aunt. Yeah. Because the parents don't want them to be associated with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am very grateful for that. Yeah. And after that dinner, we went over to my dad's side for like a family gathering of some sort the same night. Mm -hmm. And my dad grew up in a town called Roosevelt um, in Utah. It's very small. Yep, It's an oil and cattle town. And my dad's family did both. The first gay person my dad ever met was my mom's brother at their wedding reception. Oh. Yeah. Like he never met a gay person before that that he knows of, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so he just grew up in a very conservative viewpoint and world. Right. And at that little family gathering on my dad's side, some of my dad's siblings were mocking and making fun of my mom's brother and husband. And in my little mind, I was like, oh my God. Like they think of him as like a piece of garbage. Right. And so I must be a piece of garbage because you're like, I feel like I am them. Were you out of the closet at all? Had you discussed with anyone your feelings at that time? I didn't talk with anyone that I was gay until after my mission. Okay. So no one there to even protect you or tell these people, hey, shut up or be sensitive. Yeah. I relate with that because even when I didn't realize that I was gay, I was always surrounded by people making fun of gay people. And so... And isn't that just like the worst? It's kind of like the straw that breaks the back, but it's like very silent. Right. So you just have to keep trotting on even though you're broken. Yeah. Or remain closeted, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. I didn't stay closeted very long. Let's put it that way. Once, once you I, figured it out, that door flung open. Yeah. Once <laughs> I left the church and realized I was gay, I was like, fuck this noise. I'm telling it like strange in the street. Guess what? I'm a lesbian. I mean, I just, I had to get it out there. So there wasn't this big overlap of me hiding who I was and having people that I loved make fun of gay people. Mm. So I'm glad I was able to avoid that. I can't even imagine how that would hurt, except for I still look back and remember things that my family said back when I didn't know who I was and me kind of laughing with it and kind of making fun of gay people with them. And then looking back and be like, holy shit, I was horrible. And I think they still believe the way they believe because they've never told me they don't believe that way anymore. Mm. And now they know I'm gay. And Mm. it's kind of a brain fuck, right? Yeah. I resonate with that 100%. Because I was that person, like, I didn't want people to know I was gay. Mm -hmm. So if someone was joking about, like, a gay person or a trans person, like, I would just go along with it. For sure. Because I was like, oh, this is, like, my cover. Yeah, because if you were to defend someone who was gay or to say, come on, do we have to, they'd be like, oh, are you gay? You know, of course, that, that would draw attention to you. Yeah, seriously. And I think one thing that was, like, tough for me, at least growing up before, like I went on the mission and stuff was junior high was actual hell for me. Aww. I was that kid. I was really small. Mm-hmm. It's really hard for me to gain weight. Mm-hmm. And in junior high, I wasn't even like five foot. 
until ninth grade. Oh, sweetie. I know. I was really <laughs> tiny and I was malnourished because like I really struggled with anorexia. Oh, shit. Mm. And I was like a really quiet kid that just went in the theater class and choir class. Mm-hmm. And those were like my safe havens. Yeah. Like a lot of queer people, the arts help us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I constantly and like the hallways and stuff got called gay Ugh. and like fag. Mm. It was just like the constant like gay thing, like you see in like the eighties movies. Oh wow. Yeah. And I was just like, no, I'm not gay. Like stop calling me gay. Yeah. What's frustrating is like, even at home, I remember one time I, I was in eighth grade. It was the summer before I went into eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Like my mom pulled me aside and asked if I was gay. Oh. And I was like, no. And I got so defensive and I was like, how dare you? Ask me that. I'm in the church and I'm like being a good deacon right now. Yeah. I was like so offended by it because everyone just constantly. Yeah. Oh, for me, the way it came off wasn't like a way of support. Mm -mm. It was a way of like belittling. It's just how it came off to me. And you were probably already sensitive to that in the first place. So her saying it in the way that she did, I'm sure just crushed you. Yeah. So for mothers out there who are listening right now, and there's tons of you, um, (laughs) Nathan, what would have been a better way for your mom to approach that? Oof. That's a good question. I've never thought of that. Boom. First question. Never been thought <laughs> Seriously, of. You're making me have an aha moment. <laughs> you know, well, Nathan, um, don't encourage her. Seriously. <laughs> don't make my head get any bigger. Lesbian Oprah. I love it. <laughs> as long as I get to be the lesbian Brene Brown. Yes, you good. do. Oh, take it. Yes, you take do. Take it. I feel like if Brene Brown was a lesbian, I think she'd have too much power at that That's point. true. Yeah, she would, you know what I mean? It'd just be too much. She would take over the whole fucking world it was seriously because yeah. yeah. then she'd have like every queer on her side oh, oh. all of them <laughs> that's funny you know when there's like the gay people on like csi or something like that and like small remarks are made or something like oh why'd they have to put them in the tv show or something like that all the time yep right like so growing up like i had those little comments uh from my parents and my siblings i have two older sisters and i feel like the best way to approach it would be like Oh, like I love seeing like that gay person being mm-hmm. represented. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because then I feel like for me, it just creates a space to have the conversation. Yes. Yeah. Make the safe space, moms. Yeah. Yes. She probably would not have been able to say anything that was good for you to hear in that one moment because she hadn't sort of paved the way ahead of time for you to feel like it was, it safe. was safe. You know, a hundred percent. So parents, pave the way. Have gay friends, have trans friends. Your kids need to see. I think that you're accepting of everything before they will be willing to give to you their most vulnerable right. secret. And if know? there's a show that shows a gay or trans couple or whatever it is, and uh, maybe a child says, that couple isn't a mommy and a daddy, that's an opportunity to be like, yes, that's true. There are couples that are mommies and daddies together, and there are couples that are two mommies and couples that are two daddies. Like, you know what I mean? Mm, Make it yes. okay for everyone to exist. Preach. Right? Preach, preach, preach. That's Wait, why now, I'm the now lesbian Mary's Brene got all Brown. the good things to say. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Damn it, Mary. <laughs> okay, so your mom asked you, how old were you when she asked you if you were gay? I was 13. And you were like, hell no, I'm a good deacon. Exactly. How was that for you, sort of rising the priesthood ranks, kind of knowing you were lying? Did you feel like you were lying? Or yeah, maybe it hadn't completely sunk into you yet. Like, what was your situation? I just felt like I was in a role. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the best way to portray it. I was a huge musical theater person, and so I felt like, okay, this is just another role that I have to play. Yeah. So this is what I have to do 
to like continue on. And for me, like move on to high school, I like kind of did in like a layman term, like my own version of conversion therapy. I would watch gay porn like privately, like a lot of queer people do before they come out just to like discover and see what they like. Right. But if I watched gay porn, I would make myself watch straight porn um, right after. If I watch one gay video, I have to watch two straight videos. That's a lot of porn there, Nathan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then I always had a girlfriend in high school, Uh but I would never kiss them. Like I've kissed uh, one girl in high school. It was one time. Wow. Um, But I always just pulled the card of like, oh, I just want to like not feel tempted so I can stay worthy for my mission after high school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So people just thought I was like this extreme, like Molly Mormon, basically. Mm -hmm. I felt like if I played that up more, it would push back the gay. Yeah. So like I would constantly like post like, oh, here's a scripture that inspires me. Or like I read this talk today and like I just would continue on just to like see if I continually talked about the church and the temple and all of these things. That was going to fix you. Yeah, it would fix me. So at this point, you weren't trying to get people off of your gay trail, right? You were trying to fix yourself. Like, if I can be the best Mormon, God will take this from me. This will go away. Is that what I'm hearing? A hundred percent. I was trying to get myself off my own gay trail, (sighs) basically. Wow. And you went on a mission. I did go on a mission. So yeah, let's talk about that really quickly. Did you ever feel leading up to that, that you just weren't going to go, that you couldn't get rid of the gayness? So I went the year after I graduated high school because I graduated a year early. Okay. So the year leading up to my mission, I wasn't even thinking about being gay. Like I found men attractive, but I wasn't, it wasn't in the front of my head. Yeah. I was just more focused on, oh shit, am I going on a mission? Am I not going on a mission? But if I don't go on a mission, then does that mean like I'm a sinner? So like more of like the battle of like going on a mission was if I don't go, am I going to make God proud? I was more worried about the church than my gayness at that time. Sure. So in your mind, if you were thinking, maybe I won't go, what was the reason for maybe you won't go? If I won't go, it was me having to battle with my inner self. Okay. Because I was so terrified of like having to marry a woman. Yeah. It is pretty scary. (laughs) Yeah. It's terrifying. (laughs) Mary's terrified of that too. I keep asking her. (laughs) She's like, believe me, I've been there, done it. (laughs) I'm working on praying the marriage away at this point. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Oh dear. Well, so, so then in your mind, and you were, I'm assuming you were like, okay, mission, marriage, either I'm in or I'm out. Yeah. So I was like, if I don't go on my mission, then I have to start dating women Ooh. and I have to like find my eternal companion because I've seen a lot of guys who did that. Yeah. So you put that off for two years? Um, no, because I actually only went for six months. Okay, let's talk about that. Where did you get called to go on your mission? And for your pre-mission interview, how much lying had to go down there? Oh, so much lying. Like literally just all the lies. Mm-hmm. Like it, in my opinion, personally, it's very easy to pass as temple worthy. Sure, you just lie. Yeah, <laughs> because like what else are they going to say? Yeah. And at this point, so I still haven't talked to anyone about my gayness. Mm-hmm. And so the interview process was really easy, honestly. Yeah. Um, I did talk to my bishop like a year beforehand about pornography and that I did view it. Did you tell him you viewed gay porn? 
No. Yeah. So I just spoke about like porn and he assumed it was straight. Mm -hmm. I assume. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did the repentance process for that. So the repentance process for pornography, what did you have to do? Because we have listeners who have never been Mormons and they're like, what? Oh, okay. Yeah, what did yeah, that see, involve? see, I always just assume people just know, but they don't. Right. Like, it's That's barely true. a bubble. It so. is. You need to start a podcast <laughs> with someone who's never been Mormon so they can stop you be like, what the fuck are you talking about, Nathan? <laughs> I knew that there was repentance process for different sins, right? But it, doesn't it vary and depending it depends on, on the who sin? your bishop is, too. It does vary. And like Shelly said, it totally depends on the bishop. Yeah. They all just deal with repentance differently. Mm-hmm. What was yours? So obviously he's like, okay, you can't view it. Mm -hmm. And then he wanted me to journal when I felt tempted to watch porn and like journal why I wanted to. Um, And then I had to go for a whole month without the sacrament. Uh, I mean, if I could do that, I'll be like forgiven. That no sacrament is one of the greatest shame tools. Seriously. It is, you know, it's the scarlet letter. It's the being <laughs> shunned. It's everything. You. Yeah. You judge everyone who didn't take the sacrament. Wow. It's such a judgy culture. Oof. It is. Yeah. Okay, so you managed to endure the one month of shame. You And the journaling. And the journaling. Well, I want to know if the bishop wanted to read the journal. Oh, yeah. Did you have to show it to the bishop? Um, I did have to show it to the bishop. Creepy. Oh, creepy. Creepy. He's reading your journal, Nathan. But this time I was still 17. So that's very, like, pedophile in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Like, a, like journal entries of, like, a 17-year-old sexual oh stuff. Oh, That's so bad. Yeah, I had to bring it each time we met. Oh, awful. We met every Sunday, yeah. Oh, that's so creepy pervy. He read it, but I, like, just sat there. So it was, like, that awkward situation. Humiliating. Of, like, yeah, of just, like, you're sitting there, like, twiddling your thumbs as someone just reads your deepest thoughts. Oh, my gosh. That's, <laughs> that's so, so invasive and gross. This is so horrible. We haven't even gotten to, like— the horrible parts. We have right. This is this, this is, is the preamble yeah, to the real horror. Yeah, listeners, this is not conversion therapy yet. No. Like this is just normal. This is just inappropriate bishop behavior. Yeah, yeah. Oof. So I got called to Tallahassee, Florida, which for my mission it covered the Panhandle, the bottom half of Alabama, two counties in Georgia, and two counties in Mississippi. So you're in the South, the deep South. Yes. So that must have been fun. fun. Honestly, I enjoyed it Good. because I loved the people. I served in very poor areas. Mm-hmm. My first area was actually the poorest county in all of Florida. And so it was just trailer parks and like government buildings. Mm-hmm. But the people are just so hospitable still. Yeah. It's nice. The mission, though broke me. <laughs> wow. So I only survived for six months and then I had to come home because I had a horrible relapse with anorexia. Mm. I came down to like eating uh, like two meals a week. Oof. I wasn't eating on my mission near the end. Um, I was getting really weak. For people who don't know about eating disorders, a lot of the time people that struggle with anorexia specifically it's a control thing. Sure. So you feel out of control with everything else in your life, but the one thing you control is your eating habits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously that's not for everyone. Like some people, it's just truly because they hate the way they look and that's the way they do it. Um, For me, it was a control thing. And that was the one thing I control because on a Mormon mission, you don't have control over anything. No. You're told when to eat. You're told when to go to bed when to shower, you have a specific area you have to stay in. And if you go out of that area, 
then it's breaking the rules that God has instilled. Mm-hmm. And you have to stay with your companion 24-7, basically, because if you don't, then you could have the opportunity to masturbate. And that's a huge no-no in the church, mm-hmm. right? And so I just felt so out of control. And so it was a mix of the anorexia and then anxiety because I got out in the mission field and I felt suffocated. One of the main things was I was so suffocated by the feeling of having to stay in a certain county. Mm -hmm. Like you stay in your county, you go in those areas, you knock on the doors, you go to the meetings, but you do not leave. Right. And the other one was not being able to talk to my family on more than just through an email once a week. Yeah. Cause that was, I think like two years before they did that rule change. Mm-hmm. And so it was once a week just through email and I couldn't do it. So almost every week I, multiple times a week, I would call my mom secretly oh. on the mission phone. Um, and my mom got a bachelor's in psychology and she was like fine with it. She's like, I don't care about the rules. We're like doing this. Good. At the end of my mission, I was very weak. I was very sick. And I decided I was going to try and call my mission president again. Mm-hmm. And I got the courage to do so after a call with my mom the night before. I explained to her that I can't do this that I was just so trapped and I was really sad and depressed and I just lost my lust for life. And she was like, I don't care that the church isn't supportive of this. Like, this is an honorable reason to come home early. You need to call your mission president and demand that you get to go home. Wow. And so the next day I called him before he even could say anything. I just word vomited how I was feeling and and he was quiet for a minute. Like we both were and he's like, okay, you can go home. Well, and the next weekend, because just because of flights, I couldn't go out for another week. Um, But the next weekend I got flown home. And the one thing I'm so grateful for is that when I got home, my mom made sure my aunts, my cousins, my siblings, friends um, were all at the airport. Oh, that's sweet. And everyone had posters and balloons and was wearing like t-shirts and she made it a real like missionary homecoming. That is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for that because it didn't make me feel shameful for having to come home early. Wow. I wish more parents would do that. Anyone listening when children (laughs) come home early, like celebrate them. Seriously. It was the best thing that I could have gotten in that moment because like I got home, obviously I was very skinny. Mm -hmm. I'm very weak, but I felt validated and I felt so loved. And that was like a very healing moment for me. But sadly, the only thing that changed was my location, not my mental health. Mm. So I got home and like the rumor mill started. For those who aren't Mormon, like returning home from a Mormon mission early is like a big no-no. Like Mm -hmm. the biggest. The biggest, especially in my opinion for men, because for men, it's like not an option. You have to go on a mission. Mm -hmm. Like it's your duty of God. And if you come home early, everyone and their dog (laughs) assumes that it is for a sin. Yep. Wow. And so I had people in like my YSA ward spreading rumors that I slept with a sister missionary, which we could all laugh (laughs) at. (laughs) Or like everyone assumes that like it was like porn addiction. And so 
for like a long time, I like only would go to Sacrament and then I would just quickly go home. I just didn't want to deal with it talking to anyone. And uh, for a long time, I just went to my parents' ward. Yeah. And during that time is when I finally realized I was like, I am gay, but what am I going to do about it? I'm Mm. Mormon. Yeah. I was like, the only way I'm going to know if I'm gay is if I have sex with a man. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know about like the app grinder or like Tinder or stuff. Like I didn't know those things. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, how am I going to find someone to hook up with? So I Googled how to hook up with a gay guy. (laughs) Get to the point. (laughs) (laughs) I sense a four dummies book in here somewhere. Right? There should have been one. But the first thing that popped up was Craigslist. Okay, I don't know if you right. girls remember it, yep. but you remember back in the day where Craigslist had like the, the hookup section, like the, the hookup section, <laughs> yes. like the private mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. And so that pulled up and it was like the same for like male for male. Mm-hmm. And so I clicked on that and there was like an advertisement. He was like, okay, send me a picture of like your face. And he was like, okay, awesome. I'm intrigued. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. And I was so naive. I didn't ask for a picture of him. Oh. Yeah. And like, just trigger warning y'all, it doesn't go the best. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, like where should we meet? And he gave me an address and it was in Provo. It was abandoned cement building. And it was just like boards over the windows. And I parked and he opened the door and he's like just stood there and like did like a head nod and I was like okay that must be him so I like walked up to him and I was like are you the Craigslist guy he was like yeah yeah come come in um so I come in and he shuts the door behind me and locks it Oof. I was like what the hell I was like fuck Craigslist Craig did me so dirty <laughs> I hate Craig and his list right <laughs> and I was like walking through this hall with him and it was just empty cement rooms like just blocks and we get to the end and it just like had like an old blanket on the floor at this point i feel like i was just going through the motions because i was like okay this is like a discovery experience i need to find out if i'm gay right and he started to do his thing and i just laid there and tears started to come out yeah because i felt so dirty right I felt so dirty and used. And I was like, what am I doing? I was like, this is the worst thing I could have done. And I was like, actually, I'm not interested. And I just pushed him off and I ran out. I felt so dirty about it. I was like, I need to talk to someone. Mm -hmm. So I called my bishop. I didn't tell him the full truth. I just said I had sex with a woman. Because in my mind, sex is sex. I was like, you know what? He doesn't need to know the details. God does. And so I was like, can I please do the repentance process for this? Mm -hmm. And so I did the repentance process for having sex. Isn't the point of going to your bishop for repentance, isn't the point so you can walk out of there and feel better, like a weight has been lifted? Supposed to be. Did that work for you? No. I felt like I have destroyed my relationship with God. Oh, God. Yeah. Did your parents know that you had had sex and that you talked to your bishop? Yeah, because I did tell them. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I told them. I just did. I was like, so just so you guys are aware, I'm not taking the sacrament or saying like prayers in church and stuff. This is why. Man. And that was horrible. I mean, one, talking to your parents about your sexual activity is already awkward enough. Yeah. But then having to tell them in like a shameful way that the LDS church portrays it is even worse. Right. Yeah. 
So I did the repentance process. I completed that. And I was like, I am at my wits end. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I could do this anymore because I was feeling so strongly of same-sex attraction. And throughout the whole repentance process, I was like not having sex with guys, but I started to like create surface level connections with gay men. Mm. Um, I guess that's the best way to put it. Um, like I would go to the gay club and dance with gay guys mm-hmm. and like make out, but like secretly, obviously. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it all just felt so much more right. Yeah. Mm. So finally I came out to my bishop and I said I had same sex attraction. Mm. Is this the same bishop, by the way, that made you do the journaling over the porn? No, the bishop who did the journaling, he was my family ward bishop. Okay. So this one is my young single adult bishop. Okay. We call it the meat market. Literally. <laughs> Especially since I live in Utah County, it's all about the marriage. <laughs> yep. And then once you are 30, like you're you kicked suck. out. You're, you suck. You didn't get married. You're, yeah. You it's like, boot. damn it. You failed. I guess you're just not attractive enough. <laughs> yeah. There's so many things wrong with you. You have to go to the family ward now. Wow. What a supportive environment. Isn't it? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mentally stable. Yeah. Whereas the rest of the world is getting married in their 30s. Yeah. Like mid 30s. So yeah. stupid. But I'm not bitter. No, <laughs> no, not at all. So you told your bishop about your SSA. I did. So he was the first one I ever came out to. And he said, okay, I'm going to think about that. And then we'll meet at a later date. And in my mind, I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) At that point, I was like 20 years in the closet. Haven't told anyone. Then I finally come out to you and you say, we'll get back to this. Yeah, I'll get back to you (laughs) when I've got some time. And so literally a month later, the man calls me and he's like, okay, a month. I had to wait a month. Mm. And he calls me and is like, hey, are you available to meet um, this following Sunday? And so we met. It wasn't in that same concrete place in Provo, was it? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. It sure felt like it. I tell you what. Oh. So, Shelly, this sounds like a good time for a break. I agree. We'll be right back. Trigger warning. Now we're going to talk about conversion therapy, everyone. Yeah, thanks for that. The bishop was like, I've spoken to a couple people. And there's this gentleman who has gone through this type of therapy and he has found success with his same-sex attraction. He has a wife and a couple kids. Would you be willing to meet with him? Like somehow that's success. He has a wife and two kids. He's not gay. That doesn't mean you're not gay, dude. It doesn't mean you're happy. It doesn't mean you've overcome anything. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because now in like my current life as a 25-year-old, the amount of straight men with children, at least in my experience from Utah, who have reached out to me to have me privately come over, which I haven't, but who have like offered Oh. And say, like, no, I'm not gay, but, like, let's do the do. Oh like, yeah, they're not gay. Just because you're married to a woman and you're a man or married to a man and a woman or whatever does not mean that you're not queer. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean a damn thing. Right. It doesn't mean <laughs> it does. a damn thing. Especially yeah. when kids you're raised. Not proof. No, it, the kids <laughs> does yeah, not mean you're straight. survival. Yeah. <laughs> right. I was going to say, especially when you're raised in a religion where this is your expectation, it uh-huh. doesn't prove your sexuality just because you followed what the church said. A hundred percent. So many closeted people in the church. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's like, would you be willing to meet with this gentleman and see, just see what it is mm-hmm. um, and see if you'd be willing to try it. And just so everyone knows, like this was like by choice. Like I chose to do this. I was like an adult legally. I was just in a mental place of fight or flight. Yeah. And mm-hmm. my flight was ending it. 
like physically ending my life. And so for me, this was my last resort. And so I was just in a headspace where I thought this was right and I could trust him. Yeah. So let's talk just real quick about this choice. I know, mm-hmm. you know, Mormonism likes to preach, you have choice, you have agency, you can choose. We always give you a choice. At this mm-hmm. point or in your entire life, you kind of didn't have a choice. It was like, be yourself. Sure, you can be gay. You can the closet. That's fine. Choose. You'll go to hell and your family will all disown you. And you'll be shunned. And you'll be shunned. And you'll never get to see your family in the afterlife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or go agree to do this um, conversion therapy, which will, will, it is what God wants. It's what will make will you happy. To heaven. Yeah. So is that really a choice? I mean, so when you say, I made the choice, did you really? That's a great question. At that point in my life, that wasn't my choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was pushed into fear mm-hmm. that this is what I had to do. Yeah. And so he gave me the address of the guy. I never got his name. Um, and I went to his home. This happened at his home in his basement. Whoa. And the first session was I get to his house and he's like, Hi, are you uh, Nathan, who Blank Bishop sent me to? And I was like, Yes. Well, come into my house. And I was like, okay, could you explain me more of this and like what's happening? And he's like, with this type of therapy, I don't feel like explaining beforehand is beneficial. Red flag. Wow. He was like, I feel like it's better to just start the therapy and then we'll be able to move forward with the process. Or if you don't feel comfortable with it, we can think about it or I can't think of the word, but reevaluate or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. thank you. Mm Reevaluate. Nathan, what were his qualifications as a therapist? Um, The only qualification that I knew of that my bishop told me and why I went to him is because he was able to get a wife and kids. Okay. So for me, I was told that his same-sex attraction was cured. So he somehow was qualified to administer something to someone else. Exactly, because he... I mean, let's be real. Maybe he wasn't even gay. Maybe he was just a straight man that did this and it was like his sick torture. You never know. Yeah. You really don't know. I went through three forms of conversion therapy. And it was just you and this guy. It was just me and this guy for the two of them. There was another part with a different person at the end. But the first type was he asked me to strip and I sat down on the chair naked and he tied my hands behind my back Mm-mm. and my feet to the legs of the chair. And he put little, the sticking shock things all over my body. Oh my God. And some of those to this day, I actually have like actual burn scars Wow, from the electric shock. So he put on gay porn. Okay. Pause real quick. What year is this? This is in the year of 2015. Yeah, people listening, this is not in the 1960s. This was literally five years ago. Yes. Wow. God. Now, these practices were done extremely a lot in the 60s, like Shelly mentioned, but like this was just five years ago. This is still going on. And it Mm. went till 2016. So if I got aroused by the gay porn, he would shock me. God. Jesus. And he would pause for a minute, turn off the gay porn. And then he would turn on the gay porn again, and we would go back to the shocking. And that went on for about three to four months. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I explained to him, I was like, this isn't working. Like, I still am attracted to men. Is there anything else that we could try to help me? 
So even though you're being abused at this point, you still want to get fixed. You're still thinking, I'm broken. You're willing to do anything at this point. Like, please fix me or I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. Is that where we're at at this point? Literally. I'm just a skeleton of a person. If you guys would have known me during that time, um, you wouldn't recognize me. Wow. I was literally just a shell. I went to work. I went, came home. I went to school. I came home. And then I would go to therapy. I wouldn't hang out with anyone. Hmm. I wouldn't be involved in holidays or family parties. I was just a shell. Yeah, well, you're an abuse victim because you want to change so badly because of how you were taught you needed to be. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I was so desperate to have a community. Mm -hmm. Faith is a very tricky thing. Mm -hmm. And for some people, your faith builds your community. Oh, yeah. And your faith is your identity. And at that time in my life, I thought if I didn't have my faith, if I didn't have my religion, I wouldn't have a life. Exactly. Mm. So what would be the point? Exactly. Wow. And so the next form we went through, which I didn't know the term at the time, but I've learned now through an extensive amount of research, um, is waterboarding. Oh, damn. And this form, his explanation of why we did the waterboarding was to suffocate out the gay. God. He wants to suffocate who you are and who you are is beautiful, but that needs to be suffocated. I fucking hate Mm -hmm. that. Wow. Mm. So we did that and he would just do it until I pass out. Jesus. And that would be the session. Just those simple like kiddie pools that you could get like at Walmart or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he would uh, like have me on my knees and like force my head down, Mm. like hand on back of my head. My hands would be handcuffed Mm -hmm. behind my back um, so that I couldn't fight it. And then finally I came for a session and I was like, none of this is working. Yeah. I was like, is there anything else that we could do? So you've now been shocked. You've been mm-hmm. nearly drowned and you still feel so shitty about yourself. You're coming back and wanting more. Like, let's try Literally. something even even bigger. The final time that I ever met with him, we met and he had a woman. He blindfolded me and he had a woman touch me. Oh, God. And he tried to have her arouse me. She did perform like fellatio, well tried. And during that, I literally was just standing there and I was just shaking. So this is rape. Let's, you know, yeah. call it what it's it is. Molestation. You were, yes, mm. absolutely. Let's call it 100%. Yeah. It's, it's molestation. Yes. Yeah. I was, I was molested by this woman and in my opinion, also him. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. And that night I went home, like blocked his phone number and I was just done. I was like, okay, none of this is working. I have gone to the ends of the earth to make my God proud and I can't do it. Yeah. And so for me at this point, I was just done. What did done mean? What do you mean I was done? Like I was done with my life. So like for me, I did it for like, I did that type of torture because it wasn't therapy. Let's be clear. Mm -hmm. Um, It's torture. You can look on like American Board of Psychiatry website, like any health website that's official. They say that conversion therapy of any form is not healthy for the person doing it. Mm -mm. Praying the gay way is not mentally healthy for you. No. So it's not actually therapeutic. No. And so for me, I was just at my wit's end. And so I picked a date to go. I picked a date to die. Wow. Wow. And for me, that was August 25th. It was two weeks after my 21st birthday. 
I went to work that day. And then that evening I came home and I attempted, I'm not going to say how, just because I don't think it benefits anyone. Right. Sure. But with my attempt, it weakened my body to the point where I couldn't move and I was starting to pass away. Wow. Thankfully, as I closed my eyes, my bedroom door at the time was broken down by firemen because I forgot that I planned with a friend to meet them that night for a dinner. Mm. Um, and it was the only other friend that knew that I was gay and he was going through conversion therapy. Uh. He was going through the church. So he was meeting with someone through LDS services, working on like spiritually making himself straight instead of the form I did. Right. And he knew where I lived and he was really worried. So because of him just listening to like the universe, I survived. Wow. Well, we are super thankful to that friend. Oh, wow. Same. I'm beyond grateful for that guy and for him just listening to his inner voice. Because without him, I wouldn't be here today. No, you wouldn't. Without that friendship and the connection that you had by being vulnerable enough to share what you were going through, yeah, you wouldn't be here. And that would suck, Nathan. That would suck bad. It would. And here's another gay guy, I would say, used by God Mm -hmm. to save your life. He was a vessel that night. Yeah, so clearly God doesn't hate gays. <laughs> <Right>? Exactly. <laughs> Damn, Get it people. through your thick skulls, people. <laughs> How right. many times I gotta say this? <laughs> In my opinion, like I now, I'm a very spiritual person and I believe in like God and I'm very into like tarot cards and like I'm a very witchy person. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, I think God is non-binary. Yeah, of course. Well, and even according to the Bible, we, as in all the genders, were created in God's image. How does that work if God is male? Exactly. Yeah. So there you go. Well, my God is not male. My God is everything. (laughs) (laughs) So what happened next, Nathan? Did you end up in the hospital? And I'm assuming... I did. So I got put into an induced coma because of my attempt. My body needed recovering physically. Mm-hmm. So I was in the ICU for two weeks um, in an induced coma, and then they brought me out of it, and I was in just a hospital room for about three weeks. And then I got put into the psych ward, and I was on the suicide watch floor because I, at the time, still didn't want to live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I first was woken up from my induced coma, I was so furious that they had me survive Mm. that I threw like my Ivy pole at the doctor. Um, I yelled at my parents that I'm fucking gay Mm. multiple times because they didn't know. I didn't leave a goodbye note. I didn't tell anyone. And so they had no idea why I attempted, Um, but they were by my bedside um, the entire time I was in my coma. And so when I woke up, they're like, why'd you do it? And I yelled, I'm fucking gay. I know you don't want a gay son. And I know you don't want to love me. So just get the fuck out. And I kept Mm. yelling, get the fuck out until they did. Well, that's one way to come out of the closet. I know. (laughs) Come out big, Nathan. (laughs) I know. It's like, it's the Leo in me. So like, I have to do everything always like full throttle. (laughs) I love it. And so (laughs) then I went through like a big healing process through the psych ward. Mm-hmm. And it was intense. Have you guys ever seen that movie, 28 Days by Sandra Bullock? She's like had to go to a rehab center because she was an alcoholic. Oh, did I have seen this, that actually? I watched it for the first time this week. It's on Netflix. And it reminded me of my time at the psych ward because the exact 
type of like routine and like the way it was like designed and everything and like the treatment and therapy is exactly what I had to go through in like the suicide watch floor. Yeah. Um, I was the only one there for like sexuality. Mm. Other people, there was like a mother and a grandma and like there was a 10 year old and it was just like an array of people. And there was a stake president Hmm. and it was a very just healing experience. And I'm really grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So at some point you're released 28 days or however long it took. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You and Sandra got out. Yeah. Me and Sandra survived. (laughs) I think she goes by Sandy. She does. (laughs) So, you know, we talk a lot about on our podcast, someone's shelf breaking, meaning their belief in the church, their belief in Mormon God, et cetera, sort of starts crumbling around them because they just can't make sense of it anymore or it doesn't work for them. So was this all happening for you at the same time? Like you were seeing yourself pull away from the church? Yeah. So even before um, my conversion therapy, I started to stop wearing my garments on some days just because it didn't feel right for me. Mm -hmm. It's very weird when you like wear garments for a while and then just stop. It's like a very awkward experience. Like I feel like I had to learn how to redress. Hmm. It's so true. And it was the weirdest thing. I looked in the mirror and I turned sideways and seen myself in just underwear that I had to borrow because I didn't own any. (laughs) And and then feeling like the wind on my stomach as I would walk and, you know, you know, the air kind of goes up here. It's just so different. It's so different. I know Mary's like, what the fuck are you talking about? It is. And like for me, like I learned like how to like wear more tighter shorts. Yeah. And so when I first time I wore shorts without garments, I was like, wow. Yes. Look at this placement and how good my thigh looks, you know, right? <laughs> like, I was like, hello there. <laughs> I sometimes wear dresses. I love it. And like heels and makeup and like just depending on my mood that day, I'm very curved in like my hips and bum and then like an hourglass figure. And oh, I've so, seen your ass on yeah. the internet. Just throwing that yes, out there. My, ass is, my bare ass is all over <laughs> it. It's all over it. <laughs> I have it everywhere just so that potential suitors will know what they're, <laughs> the real estate that they could invest the in. real yes. estate. <laughs> yes. Put that on Craigslist, damn it. <laughs> but for me, like the first time I wore a dress out, I was like, wow, like, I don't have to wear garments and like, I'm just like expressing myself. And then it went through the whole thing of like, no, I'm not trans. I've never felt that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not non-binary either. Like it's just, I'm a man who likes to wear dresses. And I was like, that's it. And uh, back to your original question. Mm -hmm. um, My shelf breaking point was like after my suicide attempt. Okay, I was in the hospital, you know, like in the psych unit. And during that time, I refused to pray to God. They offer to bring you religious things if like it helps you yeah, because mm-hmm. um, they want to make sure you heal properly. And I was like, no, I don't want any of that. Thank you, though. And for me, it was the time to, what does Nathan want? Mm, beautiful. What is in Nathan's brain that is true and honestly just raw me? That is hard to get to that point, to accept that it's okay for you to want something. And what is that thing? I've never known what to want before. I'm supposed to want the church stuff. What do I really want? 
Yes, and don't you agree that when you leave the church, it's a grieving process? Absolutely. It's not overnight. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Because one, you lose your community. Yep. The church is not just like going to church. It is a community. Oh, it's where you go to school. It's your friends. It's your neighbors. It's your activities. It's everything. It's who you date. Because you talk about it everywhere. You talk about it from like a baseball game to like the grocery store everywhere. Everywhere. Even just casually in school, like in college classes, people raise their hand and like, use an example of their mission. Like it is everywhere. (laughs) And so for me, it was like, my shelf breaking point was like, just stopped praying. I spiraled for a minute and I was like, who am I without the church? No, that's so hard. Now, did you stop praying because you thought that God abandoned you or what did you feel? I stopped praying because it became unhealthy for me. Hmm. I used praying a lot during my conversion therapy experience. And so for a while, I stopped praying because you were right. I felt like God abandoned me, but also because it was too triggering. If I folded my arms and closed my eyes to like do a prayer back then, I could have gone into like a full like blackout moment. Wow. I'm in a much healthier place now. Like I find comfort in praying. Mm -hmm. I don't pray like in the normal like way of folding my arms like mormon way yeah i just sit and i just like look up and talk to god at the end of last year my mother passed away and i just pray to her beautiful and it's become really healing yeah that's nice yeah so you are at this point you've left the church Mm -hmm. and how many years ago are we looking at now well i left being active mm-hmm. officially and stopped completely wearing my garments in 2017. Nice. And then last year, I actually got my records removed and it got completed in a week, what? which I've heard is rare. I've <laughs> yeah. heard it's very rare, but I think it's because they saw my social media and they were like, oh, we need to get this bitch like, out. Let <laughs> him go. Like, there's no help. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, that's so good to hear. So where is your journey taking you to this point now? So after my conversion therapy and after the psych ward, I didn't choose the healthiest methods of healing. And I never went to therapy to work through my conversion therapy. Mm -hmm. Never did. And I didn't heal. Yeah. So like from 2017 to last year, I chose not to heal. Mm. Um, I did a very toxic thing and anything that was just bad for my mental health or, or trauma that I went through, I just pushed it all the way down right. and I ignored it. That's not uncommon, by the way. No. Well, thank you for saying that and like validating that. I like chose to just focus on partying basically yeah, and speaking about my story. Mm-hmm. I would go to colleges or like queer houses and um, share my story to bring awareness to it. But I wasn't doing the work internally. Ah, gotcha. Mm. Yeah. And so last year for me personally, was just a year of death. Mm. Throughout the year of 2019, my mom was passing away Mm -hmm. Mm. and she was in and out of ICU to rehab center and she was really sick. Oh, Mm. I'm so sorry. She looks so kind. She was. She was the most kind person. And I'm sorry for getting emotional, but... No, it's okay. (laughs) um, We had a very tight bond. I was a really sick baby. I was adopted from drug abusers. Oh, wow. And my parents saved me. And my mom and I bonded really quickly. And throughout the last year, she was passing away. And 
mm-hmm. a couple days before Thanksgiving, she passed away. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Um, I got into a really dark depression again. Mm-hmm. My mom was always pro-therapy. So in January, I went therapist shopping, basically tried out a couple and did, found... wait, 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 did you do it on Craigslist? <laughs> no, <laughs> I did it through insurance. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the, the premium uh, Craigslist. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Um, and I found uh, a therapist specializing in LGBTQ plus people and grief. It's like her combo, which is like my combo that I need. Yeah. And at first I didn't tell her about my conversion therapy. She didn't know. Why do you think you were not wanting to talk about it? Because it's very vulnerable for me. It's like talking like this, like with you gals Mm -hmm. or like to college students or something. It's just telling my story to help bring awareness. Like I see it as more of like me teaching instead of me having to open up. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so she was just listening to a podcast. The first podcast actually I ever did about my conversion therapy called Terrible Thanks for Asking. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And she listened to the episode and (laughs) I came to a therapy (laughs) appointment and she's like, so... Um, Nathan, we have some things we need to discuss. <laughs> she busted your ass. She did. <laughs> and so ever since uh, February of this year, we've been working through it. Good. Yeah. Good. So I'm starting to heal from it finally. <laughs> so Nathan, this has been amazing. I don't know if you realize, but maybe you do. This will inspire so many people. Your story yeah. will inspire you have so no many no idea. Thank you for being vulnerable enough to get this story out there. You're a badass. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, that really means a lot because I feel the same about you too. I think I think what you both are doing with this podcast is honestly really brave. And I know that sounds cheesy, but um, I dove deep and like listened to a lot of your episodes. And you guys showing up and doing this is honestly such a safe haven for so many people. And you guys are creating your own little misfit island. Thank you. For people to come and like find value in themselves and a place where they're like, they like are able to see themselves. And so I just have to keep like, say thank you for letting me be on this podcast episode and also just doing what you guys do, even just with your Facebook posts, like it shows so much strength and you, you both genuinely inspire me. Oh, thank you. And we love our misfits and we're happy that we can somehow, we've somehow managed to provide this community and we're, we just love that you're part of it too. So thank you. (laughs) All right, Nathan, thanks so much for being on our show. Really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you. I will talk to you both later. So Shelly, why don't we take our final break and get into some patrons and some stuff? I have five. Okay. Of course you do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. We'll be right back. All right, we are back. Yes. For some patrons. Yes. Like I said, we have five. Five, okay. Patron number one, Jolie H. Jolie H. But wait, there's also Sarah H. So I think we need to make a story that puts them together. You always want to do that. I know. There's also (laughs) Aline H. What? But S. What do you mean, but S? Well, it's H S. You get two last names, okay? Elaine H.S.? Aline. What? Elaney. Oh, God. My handwriting. <laughs> Wait, don't go anywhere, Elaney. Aline. I'm looking it up. Be patient. <laughs> it's A-L-I-N-E. 
A-L-I-N-E. Align. Align-y. Align. Align. <laughs> oh, oh my man, gosh, we, probably We're going to need some help. We're going to need some help on this. I think it's Align. All right. Did you want to start with someone? Yeah. <laughs> You've mentioned like 25 people. Jolie and Sarah. Last initials are H. They are long lost sisters. Separated at birth. <laughs> conjoined <laughs> okay. twins. They were conjoined twins. Oh, God. It happens. That's they were separated. Really unfortunate. At birth. One grew up Mormon. One grew up Protestant. So it was a successful separation. Well, for sure. They were only they were connected by the tips of their pinkies. Okay. Not there's not even a scar. Um, okay. They were separated at birth, mm-hmm. and then they found each other again when they both signed up for Patreon on the same day. Wow. But they don't know that yet. But we're telling them right now. Joalee, I have found Sarah. Sarah, I have found Joalee. You just never know what's going to happen, kids. <laughs> just whatever's going to come out of her mouth. What's the H stand for? Oh, well, they're twins. Mm-hmm. Damn it. We need that H. does not start with an H. Hells, bells. You <laughs> ladies have found each other. <laughs> Jolie, Sarah, hells, bells, who have now found each other. Wow. Okay. It's a good I story. Think they hate us right now. Next, Aline, Alina, Elaney, Alina. <laughs> HS. So she needs I'm an so HS. Sorry. Please help us. Listen, with your if your name isn't like John or Bill, you need to send a pronunciation in with it, or we might completely hatchet it. Okay. Um, but not on purpose. That's a guarantee. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. So she needs HS. Oh, this is so easy. Alina, holy shit. Will you please send a pronunciation guide for your name? <laughs> Boom. Good job. Next name, Ambia E. And I'm thinking E is for Eastwood. Ambia Eastwood, you are actually Clint Eastwood's daughter. Long lost daughter of Clint Eastwood? Yeah, everyone's long lost in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Because you got to ask yourself, do you feel lucky, punk? <laughs> well, do you? <laughs> okay, that was special. It was certainly special. Or how about... Ambia, we are so excited that you decided to join us. Thank you so much. I'd take Eastwood over that. I'm just saying. <laughs> Next and last, Kristen F. Well, fuck me <laughs> over a barrel. Kristen, oh, join. Uh, with consent. <laughs> fuck me over a barrel with consent. Kristen joined. That's a long new name. I like it. I like it. Good and luck you're with welcome. that on forms and shit. Mm-hmm. Is that it? That's it for patrons. Okay. Channels? Oh, we got a channel member. Channels member. Got a new one. Morgan C-H. It is hyphenated. Oh. So we need a word that hyphenates C-H. Um, how about... Cat hoarder. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that, Morgan, but your new name is Morgan Cat Hoarder. How many cats you got over there, Morgan? Is it going to be one of those things that in 20 years you're going to find Fluffy under a big pile of rubble? Yeah. That's always sad. This took a dark turn. This did. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Morgan. (laughs) Sorry, Morgan. Maybe um, Mary, tell us where they can. Cat hoarder? It was you. Uh, (laughs) What else we got? We got anything better? Uh, Chicken hustler. Not better. Nope. Not getting better. (laughs) It is better. (laughs) Is it? Yes, Morgan chicken hustler. How about Morgan, since you're on channels, why don't you send us a private channel and tell us whether you want cat hoarder or chicken hustler? Boom. Hmm. That is the great thing about channels. <laughs> yeah, you can just tell us to fuck the fuck right off. But too. no one has. 
<laughs> so far. Or just tell us if you're a cat hoarder <laughs> or a chicken hustler. Either one is fine by us. All right, you pick. Mm-hmm. So, Mary, how can they join these amazing groups that we have? Yep. Head to patreon.com slash latterdaylesbian or latterdaylesbian.org slash polo for information on those two ways to support us. We appreciate that so much. Yes, we really, really, really do. Really, really. And way to still pony up during COVID. And yeah. those of you who've had to drop off because of COVID, totally understood. Those of you who have dropped down a level, again, totally understood. We just really feel your love. So thank you. Thank you so much. And you know who else feels that support is Dan from Extension Audio. Leave it in, Dan. Thank you, Dan. Good luck with this episode. Everybody steer clear of those cults this week because they are no fucking joke. No joke at all. Talk to you later. Bye, guys. Bye.